welcome back to the History Connection podcast. I'm Michael Musangu, a student at the University of Portland studying biology and minoring in history. Today, we're delving into one of the most interesting people I've been able to study on so far. I've been quite excited to do this episode for a while, and I would believe he's an unsung hero because he really revolutionized Africa, and not only Africa, but the Zulu nation. Of course, today we're speaking about none other than Shaka Zulu himself. But before we get started on his story, let us start off with some with a quote as food for thought. This quote is by John Adams, second president of the United States. Because power corrupts, societies demand for moral authority and character increase as the importance of the position increases. Let me read that one more time. Because power corrupts, Society's demands for moral authority and character increase as the importance of the position increases. Now, I'll leave you all to think about that as we move on into the uh, meat of the episode that we're going to start on today. So, Sigdi Ka Zinzananga Kona is the formal name of Shaka Zulu. He was born in South Africa, in the, in the South um, he was really born in the southeastern part of South Africa, between the Drakensberg Mountains and the Indian Ocean. Um, and he was born roughly in around 1787, roughly that era. Um, really, the year he was born was very, um, it's very debated. Um, but the key is he was born around that uh, time period. And during this time period when he was born, there were a lot of independent, Zulu, um, I shouldn't say Zulu, but a lot of independent Guni chiefdoms. And chiefdoms, essentially, are just another form of governance that were um, used during this time period in Africa at the time. Um, along with um, monarchies and kings and, ch- and stuff, they're also chiefdoms. Chiefdoms, the chief is the main figurehead or the head of state. He's kind of the leader. But he's less of an authoritarian leader as he was more the liaison between the, 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 religion, the religious aspect of the community and the council, who was really the the leaders of the time period. Really, the chief would confer with the council, and they all together would come up with the decision, and the chief would literally be the mediator between all that was going on in the community in that village at the time. So there were a lot of chiefdoms at this time in this region of South Africa. And Shaka Zulu was the son of Zinzanagakona, and he was one of the rulers of a small chiefdom called the Zulu. So obviously, we know where his last name comes from or where that part of his name comes from, Shaka Zulu, right? But now, Shaka um, had an interesting story. His mother was, not, was named Nandi. She was the daughter of a Langeni chief, another chiefdom that was in the area. And basically what happened is a lot of what we know about Shaka's early life is very suspect um there aren't a lot of sources a lot of the things that we do know comes from oral sources and as oral storytelling was the way that stories were told in in africa and many other cultures of this time period it's hard to really get uh, a strong sense or a strong hold on some information as it's just uh, been changed over time and things like that but what we do know is that most sources can agree on the fact that Shaka was born in an illegitimate un- in an illegitimate um, union. In essence, 
Nandi, his mother, and Senzanagakona, who was the Zulu chief at the time, basically had, um, before they were married, they had this, uh, they were engaged or they were kind of courting. It looked like they were kind of courting at the time or going through some dating ritual. But before they were married, she eventually did fall pregnant. But the thing is, when Nandi went to go tell Zenzanagakona that she was pregnant, uh, basically he kept denying it. And he's like, no, you're not pregnant. You're not pregnant. You have a problem of your intestines, an internal condition that comes from what is called the Ishaka beetle. And basically, he, she kept going and saying, hey, I'm, I think I'm pregnant. And he kept saying, no, you're not pregnant. No, you're not pregnant. You have this intestinal condition caused by the Ishaka beetle. Don't worry about it. Well, nine months later, he was proven wrong. And it turns out it was a boy. And what's even worse about this whole situation is that actually Zenzanagakona, Shaka's father, actually tried denying the paternity of this boy. And basically, he tried denying it and denying it, but eventually he was proven wrong and basically installed Nandi as his third wife in the chiefdom of the Zulu. And in fact, Shaka spent his early years in his father's um, homestead near the Babanango and this is in the locality of the Emakosini. In other words, this is interpreted as the burial place of the kings. This was just literally, it's just a more specific um, standing on where Shaka lived growing up. Now, the marriage of Zinzanagakona and his mother, Nandi, Shaka's mother, Nandi, really was not really good. Um, they did get married and he installed her as his third wife, but their marriage was very tough, according to sources. And basically, Zenzanagakona's like, you know what, we're done. And he threw out of his court. Basically, she lost favor with him. And not only did she lose favor with him, but also, he, basically, in throwing the mother out, he effectively threw his own son out of his own kingdom, out of his own courts. And because of that, they actually, um, Nandi and her son, young son Shaka, had to go find sanctuary in the Mahlathuze, Mlathuze Valley in with the Longani people whom Nandi is indigenous to the Longani people of course and basically she's like hey I'm gonna go back to my people let me go live and try to live a, a solemn um, life and and we'll move on from there but it didn't get that much better for Shaka just because they moved back in fact when Shaka moved back Shaka as a young boy started to get made fun of because during this time period again you know, the traditional ideas of having a mother and a father being, you know, the, the unit that holds the family together and the children, etc., etc. And imagine being a boy, you only have a mother, and then you keep saying that you're from chiefly descent, but you have no dad to show up for you because he kicked you out of the house, and you keep claiming it, and, he's, and they're like, yo, where's your dad then? And he's like, he's chief, but he kicked us out. And, you know, they just made fun of him for that. And he actually just kept getting humiliated and mistreated by the Langeni boys. And a lot of his childhood just did not go very well because of that point. And what makes it more interesting is that even during this period, there were actually two rival groups that were going on in this time period. And this sets the stage for really the growth of Shaka as a leader and the growth of what he did to basically solve these rivalries that were going on between these two groups. So the two groups, while Shaka was living at the Lange with the Langeni tribe, the two groups that were really having a lot of rivalries were 
the two Nguni groups. One was the Mthethwa, the other one was the Ding, was the Dandwe, the Dandwe, and one and the Mthethwa was led by Dingiswayo, and the Dandwe were led under Zwide. Now, these were all chiefs of these two groups, and what's amazing is is that during this time period, the, in eighteen o two, around that time period, there was actually a great famine. During this great famine, Shaka and his mother were like, okay. Well, we're not getting enough to eat, so we need to find another way to move and live. So they moved from the Langeni. They moved across to live with the Mthethwa people. They actually found shelter in the home of Nandi's aunt, who was living with the Mthethwa at the time. What's amazing here is that he actually got taken in by Dingeswayo, who was the leader of, of uh, the chief, rather, of the Mthethwa at the time, and actually... He literally was taken under the wing of Dingiswayo. During this time period, I mean, I mean, you know, he, he was he came from a home, you know, his dad kicked him out, who was the chief of the Zulu. And literally Dingiswayo took him in, took him under his wing and started cultivating his talents. And in fact, this is what gave Shaka the confidence that he was looking for as a young man growing up. And it was amazing because even though he was accepted by Dingiswayo, the Thethwa boys also teased him because he claimed chiefly descent and he kept getting teased. And it really was a tough thing on his own sense of esteem and all these things. But as he started to grow older, Shaka began to discover that he had a lot of talents. One of the talents that he had is that he was a tall man. Rep um, most reports that I've read um, showed that he was about 6'2" quite a tall man he also had a pretty big physical build or he was really he was a strong strong build i should say and along with this he was also really good with physical skills having to do with fighting or physical labor that sort of thing and he had natural ability and aptitude to pick up skills which actually was a benefit to him because really in in picking up things quickly he could advance in other ideas and movements quicker than other boys his age group could so as he's growing up you know he's in his teenage years he's has all these skills he's really getting brought up under the wings of Dingaswayo and he thinks he's really making progress in the world he enters a point where he's like hey you know what I want power I am big enough I'm strong enough I can, I can fight in the military, but I want power. Because that's inwardly the desire of a man who wants to, you know, be a kamikaze, own his own people, be chief, be on top of it all. And he wanted power. Now, at about the age of 23, he was drafted into the Mthithwa regiments. In doing so, he actually found a companionship and, and something that really helped quench that thirst that he had or that desire to be accepted that he didn't find when he was a young boy because it allowed him to demonstrate to demonstrate the skills and the abilities that he had all his courageous abilities all these skills and he was able to put them to good use and in fact these deeds that he did actually helped him gain attention from his um overlords or I should say superiors and in fact he actually rose up in the ranks very fast as a result um, in fact, he became a skilled commander really quickly. And by the time this happened, he was given another name, Ndodu Melezi. And when this happened, 
um, not long after this, his father died. And when his father died, he said, huh, remember that idea of getting power? I want to go take my father's kingdom. And I'm going to take it back and have it as my own. And Dinka Suayo basically said, go do it, my boy. He literally is like, I'm going to give you military support. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you do it in the agreement that you remain under my vassalship. You answer to me. But you can own the Zulu people. You can do whatever you want with them. You can have all the other kingdoms in that area, the chiefdoms that you want to conquer. But you are under me as a vassal. And he's like, well, of course. So he just goes ahead. He takes the army of Dingaswayo, takes those regiments, plows through, grabs um, what remains of the kingdom of his father, takes over the Zulu and becomes chief. And in fact... Being the favorite of Dingus Wayo, like I mentioned, he got a large amount of freedom to basically grow that principality that he had. And in fact, after he took over not only the Zulus, he actually took over literally what was on the Buthalezi plain and the Langeni people and other uh, small groups in that area as well. So he actually made a big name for himself at such a young age. And, you know, a few years later, you know, time passes on and all these things. And eventually, Dingaswaya was killed in battle. And some people, you know, even attribute, um, I, I don't want to say attribute, but some people blame Shaka for the death of Dingaswaya being his fault because he didn't act fast enough. Now, I'm not of the sort to say whether it was really his fault or not. But what I will say is, Dingaswaya went to go fight and... And basically what happened is that, you know, Zwide, the other rival tribe, basically came and captured him. And basically he captured him and basically Shaka did nothing. Shaka did nothing and Zwide eventually murdered Dingaswayo. Now, obviously, that's a tough blow. But in the killing of Dingaswayo, now Shaka's like, hold on, wait a minute. So Dingaswayo is dead, and there's no leadership of the Mthethwa people. So who's going to do this? Well, um, I guess me. He just looks left and right and is like, "Hey, this is I guess is my job. It's it's my natural duty, so to speak." So he just steps up to the plate and is like, "Hello, everyone. I am the leader of the Mthethwa people now." And now he's added Mthethwa the Langeni, and he has the Zulus and all the other small tribes around him in that area. He just takes it over, and he basically assumed leadership and started to conquer all the chiefdoms, not only around the Zulu, but around the Mthethwa people. He just conquers all those forces and adds them to his own, and he builds a huge kingdom. In fact, Zwide tried a couple times to actually take over the new rival that had risen up after the death of Dingaswayo, and let's just say he didn't uh, succeed very well because first of all um shaka zulu had a lot of new military methods and new ideas that were so revolutionary that it really allowed him to be a beast on the battlefield an example of this when he was trying to fight most of the people who were coming to fight at the time like zvide's type of people their military forces they would come to fight and 
they would all kind of come together bunched up they're not really organized they're just kind of loosely gathered together and they're holding spears and they're like okay let's go shaka had a master plan and basically he had a plan that was they had four groups three of them would actually go fight the main center group was the offense they would go and attack direct offense go attack then you had two sides which were the flanks and while the offense is going and attacking the flanks would come and just close them in like that and just pick them off on the sides just bang 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 pick them off on the sides and then the fourth group they were sitting in the safety back home behind the lines and they're just on guard ready to attack they weren't doing anything they just had their spears they were just sitting there going yep all right whenever we're called and basically what this allowed them to do is when the other um rival armies got tired or they were fighting and they got tired the other forces would just be called up and you know they had fresh forces just come and plow them over and as a result this led to the success of literally people like shaka zulu at the time what's amazing here is that after this zwede tried to attack him once okay he tried and he failed so then he literally is like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try one more time. So he tries one more time and he basically uses this tactic that was also really intelligent. And Shaka basically draws in all of Zwede's forces into his own territory, brings them all in. Basically, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. He brings them all in and he leaves his men right all the way inside in his territory, just resting mind their own business. The offense does what they do, but he brings them draws them in draws them in draws them in basically like a retreating tactic just draw them in yeah run run keep running but yeah you're entering our territory he does that so much till Zwede's forces were tired and basically in doing so they got so tired out that when he sprung those resting forces who were minding their own business they just pummeled them and Zwede's forces actually just took an L <laughs> took an L so to speak but they, they got defeated at the Mahlathuze river and really, this defeat brought that down the Ndwandwe people. And in fact, after this defeat, Shaka Zulu basically became the major chief of this region. Now, he, owned the, he was chief of the Zulus. He was chief, literally, of all those people that he took over. And by the time he became chief, he literally toppled down the two major rivals that were fighting as a young boy that he saw fighting as a young boy and he took over them as a grown man now young man in his early 20s so now really during his brief reign of 10 years um the regiments that shaka zulu had went on campaigns they took and subdued other kingdoms subduing other chiefdoms i mean just they were powerful and they were really powerful because he created this sense of hey I'm strong. I have this ability. Let me go attack. Let us win. And he drew a lot of loyalty behind him as a result. Now, really, I think <clears throat> a lot of what led to Shaka Zulu's demise will come after the year 1824. And why I say this is because during the year 1824, we actually saw the first white traders come into South Africa into the port, into a place called Port Natal. Port Natal is actually what is called Durban in South Africa today. Um, and it was um, achieved by Francis Farewell and Henry Francis Flynn. When they came, they got to the port with, um, and met Shaka Zulu and eventually sent gifts to him. And they went to meet with him and have 
formal talks about, hey, how are we going to, you know, can we um, open trade, you know, and Shaka's like, yeah, go ahead, man, whatever. But, you know, when Shaka says, yeah, go ahead, man, whatever, it doesn't only mean that because obviously Shaka's also like, wait a minute, how can I benefit from this too? I mean, white traders are coming, they're starting business. Okay, so how can I, you know, and he allows it because he obviously is looking ahead and is like, well, what can I benefit? What can I gain? So in doing this now in 1825, James King also pays him a visit and he's another white British trader that comes and basically he comes to the same conclusion. Hey, Shaka seems to be a nice king. He minds his own business. He's, he's letting us trade. You know, life is great. And basically he actually, Shaka actually allows them to build a settlement at Port Natal. And that's actually what made him, you know, a very receptive, a receptive, um, a receptive chiefdom or a receptive native chief to the white people. And most people respected him for that. In fact, in 1826, he actually built a big military barracks near the Dukuza, uh, near at Dukuza, I should say, not near the Dukuza, at Dukuza is the place. And this is the place where he literally saw, um, it's near Port Natal, so this is where he literally started to, like, you know, stretch himself and be like, hmm, I guess I can take, you know, some power here, you know, he's thinking like, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I have power, you know, let me be out for my own benefits and my own desires as well. So, and all these things happening, you know, he's viewed as am amiable and pretty amicable by the white traders that come in. Shaka started to become very authoritarian and totalitarian towards his own people. And what I mean by this is because he didn't have many, he didn't have any conflicts at all with the, with the white traders, with the white settlers that came, but he had conflict with his own people because he eventually became a tyrant in the sense that whenever uh, certain things happened, he literally, he had men that he didn't like or whatever. And he just, at the nod of his head, just nodded his head. Those men were killed. And this happened so much that eventually the loyalties of his people started to dwindle and they're like, um, excuse you, <laughs> what are you doing, sir? <laughs> and, 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 you know, they're, they're really confused and they're trying to understand what's going on. But not only in this, the climax of all this, his tyrann and his tyrannicism that's going on or his tyrannical abilities that's going on happens in 1827 when his mother Nadi dies and with Nadi dying, so many people were actually put to death after his mother's death because they weren't sad enough or they weren't mourning enough during the mourning ceremonies. He actually sent military men to go to other chiefdoms to make sure to, to basically go and enforce mourning, like national mourning in the chiefdoms because they weren't mourning enough. And thousands of people were killed during this time period because they were not grieving enough. He had to make sure they grieved. And if they weren't grieving enough, they were killed and thousands were killed during this time. Now, what's interesting is that he, um, and because of this, a lot of people, again, lost interest in him. His loyalties dwindled and they finally had enough. By September, 1828, his own bodyguard, Bofa and his half brothers, Dingane and Mihilanga, Mahalangana basically came and stabbed him. They captured, they, they found him all his, um, so basically what happened is all his military men, they went somewhere on an exercise or doing something like that, doing their own military pursuits. 
And while he was left basically unguarded by the military, they came in, they stabbed Shaka, killed him, threw him in a pit, and he was buried quickly. And basically, Dingane looks left and right and is like, oh, Shaka has no uh, heir to the throne. Well, being brother, I guess it's my duty. So he just, you know, pulls up his tie a little bit and clears his throat and walks in and takes the throne. But in the death of Shaka, after what he did, one thing I can say, Shaka Zulu did revolutionize South Africa in the sense that the Zulu people had unprecedented growth. It was because of Shaka that the Zulu people actually strengthened numbers. In fact, they made a lot of changes and they made a lot of unprecedented growth and progress in South Africa during the 19th century, leading into the 20th. And Dingane and all those who succeeded him, uh, succeeded Shaka, that is, had this progress. So Shaka, as much as he had goals that were really self-motivated towards power and towards, you know, just being supreme ruler and everyone bowing to him, there was a good benefit to this in that the Zulu people also gained power in the sense of they also built a presence of themselves in South Africa during the time when the British started to colonialize South Africa as well. Anyways, I hope you thought this was an interesting episode. I mean, as much as I thought it was an interesting episode, you know, I always hope it was an interesting episode for you. So if it was, you know, just please let us know in the comments, wherever you are, whether it's, you know, Apple or YouTube. If you do like it, please, you know, give us a like button, hit that like button on YouTube and subscribe to us. It will help us a lot. Apart from that, until we see you next time, this is Unsung Heroes. I'm Michael Masangu. Thank you and see you next time.